Eastern Time, Wednesday, February 16th, 2022, and thanks for joining us for the 124th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. We will be taking calls from our listeners all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. And now, a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc.
Thank you, as always, for that. And if you don't mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic. So I suspect, as uh, most people have probably recognized it, that's uh, cut from uh, the Who's Next record, which is one of my favorite uh, Who albums. And that's, of course, Behind Blue Eyes, which is... uh, Actually, about a very nasty gentleman that lives behind blue eyes, which I think most people would certainly uh, categorize as antisocial. <laughs> so, despite the fact that it's a really pretty song, it's uh, it belies a very nasty uh, theme, kind of like uh, the veneer of an antisocial person. Got it. Yes, that definitely applies. It's funny. I was listening to that song this weekend uh, because it came up. I've been kind of binge watching a little television to sort of lift my mood still being stuck in the house and everything. And, uh, I've been binging Buffy and, uh, in season five, Giles remembers his roots and is playing a lot of, he plays behind blue eyes, uh, acoustically in a particular scene. And it's funny because the Scoobies have no idea that he had this in them and they walk in and he's, playing acoustic beautiful music and that's a song and they're all just like who is this person and what happened to our stuffy old watcher you know with the t and tut tut <laughs> so it's kind <laughs> of a fun great. little take on that song yeah so it's been coming up quite a bit this week so yes thank you very much for that Are you and welcome. as dr mathis mentions um to uh not tonight but tonight but this week's topic is psycho killer with a nod to the talking heads of course uh fictional antisocials and we will discuss that in a moment before we begin let's go first to the rock and roll shrink recalls which is a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by dr mathis if you would sir so unlike most uh, cluster bees which of course the antisocials fall into um <clears throat> what i thought i'd talk about tonight is kind of a, a rare phenomena, uh, which are musicians who are substance-free. And I'm going to start off talking about folks who are uh, currently substance-free, but who have a history replete of substance abuse, but who have been uh, clean and sober for quite a number of years now. And then talk about the musicians who've never done drugs. Uh, and I am excluding... Um, coffee and tea and cigarettes out of this discussion. We're talking about mostly alcohol and drugs uh, because some of the persons I'm going to talk about do drink coffee and tea and some of them smoke cigarettes, uh, one of them almost voraciously. <laughs> but, uh, so I'll start first uh, on the in the recovery uh, category and I'm only going to talk about extant musicians. There are several who have passed away in the last five or ten years who were uh, in recovery, who hadn't done drugs for a really long time, uh, George Harrison being amongst them. Um, but I'm going to talk about those who are still with us uh, and who are currently in, in recovery. Uh, so Trey Anastasio, a fish. Uh, most people know Eric Clapton's been clean and sober since the 90s, since the passing of his son, Connor. Uh, Alice Cooper, who's been clean and sober since 80. Uh, James Hetfield of uh, Metallica, uh, Sir Elton John, uh, Anthony Kiedis of the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, 
Uh, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, uh, Ringo Starr, obviously former famous Beatle, Steven Tyler uh, of Aerosmith, and Joe Perry as well. Keith Urban, uh, Neil Young, who's been uh, cleaning this over for a while now, and Joe Walsh, one of my favorite guitar players, uh, who's been cleaning sober since the Reformation of the Eagles. So those are folks who are still with us, still making music, and still clean and sober. There's a list of wow. musicians never done drugs, and some of them will surprise you. Uh, some of them won't surprise you. Uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull, uh, Adam Ant, Captain Beefheart, Dick Dale, who was one of the early 50s uh, surf guitar pioneer gods, uh, Brandon Flowers, who is a Mormon. I don't know if how many people knew that. Uh, I did Robert, not. Yeah, that's why he doesn't do coffee or tea or anything. Uh, he's probably the the lightest weight person on the list I'm going to talk about. Uh, wow. Obviously, obviously of the killers. Uh, John Fogarty of CCR mm-hmm. and Solo. Robert Fripp, who I joke about, is probably weird enough without that crap, kind of like me, which is why I never did it. Uh, along with the fact that uh, addiction is running my family, that I didn't want to trigger that gene in case I happened to be the unfortunate person who had uh, inherited that. Uh, Steve Harris, bassist for uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, Steve Howe, guitarist for Yes and Asia. B.B. Uh, King, who is not with us anymore, obviously. Uh, Kendrick Lamar. Morrissey. Oh. Uh-huh. Which is going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, Ted Nugent, uh, who has never done drugs, and he's been a sex addict forever and a day, uh, but he has not, he is, he came out very, very early uh, against drugs and and alcohol, very, very young, uh, right in the height of the, you know, the the 70s and 80s. Uh, Andrew Partridge, excuse me, Andy Partridge, uh, Henry Rollins, and I don't think too many people are going to argue with him. Yeah. Go Uh, ahead. Robbie (laughs) Yeah, Ravi Shankar, which will not surprise too many people. And they're thinking, wait a minute, this guy's not really a rock musician. No, but he was a major influence on a lot of rock guys and toured with George Harrison for many years uh, and taught him how to play sitar. Uh, Gene Simmons, uh, who didn't want anything. Yeah, not so much some of the other members of KISS, but Gene Simmons. Yeah, I did not realize that. Yeah, Angus Young. And somebody who's no, yeah, I know. Who's now he's a cigarette freak, but he doesn't do, uh, has not done drugs. And somebody who's not with us anymore, uh, Frank Zappa, which is really going to surprise people given some of the antics he did on stage. But that was a guy who was notoriously drug clean. Well, wasn't there a quote from him? I don't do drugs. I am drugs. Yeah, wasn't that him? Correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was a trip. He was a trip. And his son's a really good guitar player, too. And I suspect he's probably pretty clean as well, but I couldn't get any definitive data uh, on Dweezil, so I didn't want to make any assumptions. And and one never knows whether Ozzy's in, in his many recovery modes or if he's still in relapse mode or what the heck. So I didn't list him in recovery musicians because sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. So I don't really yeah, consider him in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Those are uh, those are my list of folks who are very anti uh, 
antisocial because most antisocials do drugs and most cluster Bs do drugs. So there you have it. Interesting. Okay. All right. Thank you for that very much. That's always a very interesting list, especially when you're dealing with creative types, because as you have observed with several of those entries, a lot of people with those personalities behave like they're on drugs, and sometimes they're just kind of like that. <laughs> well, it's funny because, uh, you know, I've had I've had some sort of interactions afar uh, with Joe Walsh because he's buddies with a, a person here in Atlanta, and every time he comes here, he comes and visits this person, and... Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that Joe is crazier off drugs than he was on drugs, and he's got this great sense of humor and this really, I mean, he's a super cool guy, but I mean, he is, he's a strange puppy, but in a very cool, funny way, uh, and, and I think if you didn't know that he was drug clean, you would not know he was drug clean. <laughs> he's he's uh, He's a very interesting guy and just really funny as heck. I mean, he comes up with the greatest one-liners. Um, I mean, he, he tells a story a lot about, uh, if you've ever seen the interviews with him, he tells a story about during his drug fuel days that, uh, you know, he, he would use people like, you know, Hendrix as a role model. It's like, could Hendrix play any of those great, you know, licks if he weren't, you know, strung out on acid and all this kind of stuff. And he said, and then, you know, it never occurred to me that, you know, everybody that's a creative guy that did drugs that I admired is dead. <laughs> yeah. oh. He goes, that thought never occurred to me. Uh, oh, and he's, yeah, he, I mean, that's the kind of stuff he comes out with. And it's the facial expressions that are associated with it. The tone of voice is just, he, he just cracks me up listening to him talk. He's funny. Uh, super cool guy. Does a lot of charity work. He's just a really... Uh, a really genuine guy who really gives a flip about his music and about uh, people in general, just really, uh, and a lot of musicians, um, you know, people make all these assumptions about them and uh, some of those are true about some musicians, but certainly not about all. And there is a fair amount of uh, folks out there who are pretty humanitarian in their uh, approach and uh, you know everybody you know when you say that Bob Geldof is sort of a name that comes to everybody's mind but there's a lot more folks out there than just Bob I mean he's just the most visible uh, person who's done a lot of work for you know community and uh, a lot of you know bringing a lot of help to folks in general but there's a lot of folks out there who do that uh, country folks and rock folks and you know blues and jazz folks there's just a lot of a lot of folks out there who are not what most people would think they are, and they're not all caught up in their fame, and you know, and they're and they're not all cluster B esque folks like uh, some of the musicians. Uh, and actually, one of the drug straight musicians that I mentioned is clearly a cluster B, uh, who shall obviously go nameless, but uh, is very much a cluster B, and cites that as one of the reasons why he doesn't does doesn't do drugs, which I thought was hilarious. Oh wow. Most cluster yeah. bees are not that self-aware, or not on purpose, anyway. <laughs> I don't think he gives a shit. Um, oh, but yes, okay. I would not disagree with that. <laughs> I just don't think he cares. I think he's, I think he's like proud of it. I'm like, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Right. Well, well, you know, when, I guess when I guess when you've made as much money and as famous as this person is, you just don't really care anymore. And 
I'm glad it works for him. It would, that would not work for me, but, you know, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> cool. All righty. Um, so thank you for that again. And um, we'll still be taking calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the evening until around midnight. It's about 11.15 right now. So feel free to give us a call. And again, the number is 914-338-0314. All righty. So we are at episode 124. It is titled Psycho Killer, Fictional Antisocials. And I want to apologize to our listeners for our unscheduled hiatus. Um, I had some health issues a few weeks ago that needed to be addressed. We're still working on it, but I'm now back at a place where we can come back and be with you guys and tell you some cool stories. And uh, now we're back in black. So sorry about that. And uh, we're done. (laughs) All right. So tonight's topic is one that we've touched on portions of before on this show, but not all of it together like this until tonight. So it's mostly based on an article that came up in social media last week. The source for it is a Facebook page entitled I Fucking Love Science. Um, The girl who runs it usually does pretty well-vetted scientific posts, which I'm sure most of you will admit have not been plentiful in the last few years, so she's a good source for that. And she posted this article entitled, Psychiatrists Assess Which Movies Most Accurately Portray a Psychopath? And there's a link. It's run on her website, um, iflscience.com. And in the past, we've done episodes on both Hollywood and other fictional presentations of various pathologies way back in episodes 24 and 25 Um, which were when we did Pathology Chic and Misconceptions. Um, First half, 24, was all the Hollywood versions of stuff, and then 25 was talking about the real pathologies that correspond to them. And then we also did episodes dedicated to Cluster B personality disorders, as Dr. Mathis mentioned a minute ago, um, including definitely one of the stars of that group is APD, or Antisocial Personality Disorder. And this is the new correct term for what pop culture continues as evidenced by the article to refer to as either psychotics or sociopaths in episodes 70 and 71 and that was back in uh, May and June of uh, 2019 Uh, 24 and 25 were in summer of 2017 and you can go to our Facebook page to the pinned post if you actually want to go back and listen to them uh, later on Um, So the Cluster B episodes were episode 70. Um, It was just a two-parter on narcissists, antisocials, histrionics, and borderlines. And uh, episode 71 was part two, and that was uh, June 2019. So with that in mind, tonight we're going to discuss the original article that was presented by A Fucking Love Science and the premise, and then Dr. Mathis' opinion of their conclusions uh, second, can there be fiction, songs, TV, or movies that portray APD accurately but still appeal to a popular audience and make money? You know, can they be accurate and entertaining? We'll see. We're going to talk about that. Why are so many people obsessed with this inaccurate fictional take on APD and suggestions and open conclusions about all this? And before we begin... 
Um, let me check in with you first, Dr. Mathis, and then we're going to actually redefine APD for you guys who may have forgotten. But first, I want to see if there's anything you want to bring up before we really dive in. No, let's go get to it. Okay. So before we begin, let's refresh our listeners' memories by defining APD and unofficially psychopathy and sociopathy. So APD, or antisocial personality disorder, is a DSM-5 diagnosis assigned to individuals who habitually and pervasively disregard or violate the rights and considerations of others without remorse. People with APD may be habitual criminals or engage in behavior which would be grounds for criminal arrest and prosecution. They just don't get caught. Or they may engage in behaviors which skirt the edges of the law or they manipulate and hurt others in non-criminal ways which are still widely regarded as unethical, immoral, irresponsible, or in violation of some form of social norms and expectations. Those with APD often possess an impaired moral conscience and make decisions driven purely by their own desires without considering the needs or the negative effects of their actions on others. Impulsive and criminal behavior is common. The terms psychopathy or sociopathy are also used in some contexts synonymously. Pardon me. In others, sociopathy is different, differentiated from a psychopath in that a sociopath is rooted in environmental causes where a psychopath is genetically uh, rooted. Uh, the term antisocial may be confusing to the lay public as the more common definition outside of clinical usage, and I, I'm going to confess something to you guys. I had this problem until we started doing this show because when I did the research, that's when I figured out that it was a little different, but I used to get very confused by these terms, and it might be part of why people struggle to use it correctly because of this confusion I'm explaining right here. The more common definition outside of clinical usage is an individual who's a loner or socially isolated. Yeah, sort of fuzzy true here, kind of. The literal meaning of the word antisocial can be more descriptive to both the lay public and professionals. To be antisocial is to be against society, against rules, norms, laws, and acceptable behavior. Individuals with antisocial personality disorder tend to be charismatic, attractive, and very good at obtaining sympathy from others. And real quick question for you, Dr. Mathis, here. Sure. How, if at all, would you differentiate between psychopathy and sociopathy for a layperson's understanding of the distinctions here and now? I know they misuse them a lot, but if you were going to talk about all this properly, how would you differentiate? Okay. Well, first of all, what I want to say is um, people who are successful at carrying out their antisocial stuff for a long time are charismatic, attractive, and very good at obtaining sympathy. Unsuccessful ones are not so much. (laughs) Um, And that's true of all cluster Bs. Secondly, um, psychopathy and sociopathy are definitely different. So a sociopath is somebody who uh, commits antisocial acts as part of a culture, like a mafia hitman. So a mafia hitman has rules and, and subscribes to certain rules within a subculture of society and within that social milieu adheres to the 
antisocial rules of that person's culture, but they are by definition antisocial. So, for example, one of the uh, rules is no women and children. So you can hit a target, but you can't hit a target if there's women and children that might get hurt. So that's a rule that they are required to follow. You can't hit somebody without permission from the Don. That's a rule they're required to follow. But obviously what they do is antisocial by definition. A psychopath is a loose cannon that just kills what the hell, just for whatever reason. You know, the, the, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's raining, it's snowing, it's sun shining. Uh, somebody pissed them off, somebody, you know, whatever. It's, it's, they are kind of an antisocial loose cannon, if you will. They are the people that just kill for the thrill of it. Uh, or because they're in the mood or because, you know, it's, it, it's nighttime or daytime or whatever. They don't follow any rules or regulations. They will often have patterns they follow, signatures as it's known, but uh, they're not under any uh, subculture, uh, societal's rules of engagement, so to speak. Andrew, okay, yeah, that that is very helpful. Because I know people still use those terms. I know they're both under the APD umbrella now. Yeah. But they still keep they still keep coming up. So I want to make sure that we can encourage our listeners. If you're going to use those terms instead of APD, at least, you know, kind of be as correct as you can about it. So this is helpful. And uh, that makes sense. You know, the whole like, well, we may have rules, they're just not your rules. You yeah, know, that helps. And, and our rules supersede your rules, so, so if you don't like it, we'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Please don't kill me. <laughs> okay, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, first, I want to read you guys the original article and premise from I Fucking Love Science. And then I would like to get Dr. Mathis's opinion of their conclusions. Um, if you prefer to stop me and opine while I'm reading, that's fine. Just let me know. Um, so let's go ahead and begin by presenting the article in question that gave rise to this topic. And the article is Psychiatrists Assess Which Movies Most Accurately Portray a Psychopath. And this, this uh, article was undated and unbylined from I Fucking Love Science. I don't know if it's an archival post of theirs that they just happened to drag up. Like it was posted on social media recently. I don't know how actually recent it is because it didn't have a a date on it, but it says, quote, a lot of what lay people learn about psychopaths is through cinema. And we've talked about this. Um, Despite psychopaths making up around 4.5% of the general population or between 10 and 35% if you happen to be in prison. How movies represent psychopaths shape people's view of them as a whole. So how accurate are the portrayals we see on screen? Well, a group of psychiatrists, they're not really named, um, have spent three years watching 400 movies containing characters who could be described as psychopaths, either by cinema goers or Uh, from the promos of the film themselves, to determine which of them shows accurately the clinical condition of psychopathy. Whittling down that list of 400 movies to 105 male and uh, 21 female psychopaths portrayed on film since 1915, 
the team of 10 forensic scientists and movie critics. I found that was an odd mix. Um, then weighed in on what could be diagnosed as a psychopath and whether they would, in fact, be diagnosed with other conditions. The team found some excellent and compelling portrayals of psychopathy that they believe could be used for, quote, teaching and illustrating several aspects of forensic psychiatry, end quote. These, however, were in the minority. Quote, some of the most famous psychos in films are not psychopaths, but psychotics, the team wrote in their 2013 paper. Okay, so we know that the article is after 2013 at least. And the paper was published in the Journal of Forensic Scientists. Well-known examples of these are found in the films Psycho, Norman Bates, and Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle. These characters are, in varying ways, disconnected from reality and suffer from delusional ideation. One of the best portrayals of psychopaths, according to the team, was Anton, and I do not know how one pronounces this name because I haven't seen the movie. It's C-H-I-G-U-R-H. Shigur, possibly. The, he's the antagonist in the Coen brothers' No Country for Old Men. Anton Shiger is a well-designed, prototypical, idiopathic, primary psychopath, the team wrote. We lack information concerning his childhood, but there are sufficient arguments and detailed information about his behavior in the film to obtain a diagnosis of active primary idiopathic psychopathy, incapacity for love, absence of shame or remorse, lack of psychological insight, inability to learn from past experience, cold-blooded attitude, ruthlessness, total determination, and lack of empathy. He seems to be effectively invulnerable and resistant to any form of emotion or humanity. Other good portrayals of psychopaths were Henry from Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, <coughs> Pardon me, which was itself inspired by real-life serial murderer Henry Lee Lucas. In this film, the main interesting theme is the chaos and instability Oh, tickle in the throat. In the life of a psychopath, Henry's lack of insight, a powerful lack of empathy, emotional poverty, and a well-illustrated failure to plan ahead. Some of the most famous film psychopaths do not live up to what the psychiatrist would see in real life. Hannibal Lecter, who they called the most famous and caricatured, caricatured example of a psychopath, is described as having many personal characteristics that are not generally found in everyday clinical practice. Um, actually, I'm going to pause right here. Dr. Mathis, is is this fairly accurate for them to say that um, a personality like Hannibal Lecter probably wouldn't be uh, a psychopath in real life, or is it possible, maybe just rare? Uh, yes, Definitely. Okay, I just wanted to check in and. and I mean, see. he's kind of a weird one, but he he would definitely be classified as a quote unquote psychopath. Okay. All right, I just want to make sure because they people throw these terms around so much, which is the entire point of doing this show. They they kind of go overboard, and then it gets muddy what counts and what's just dramatically fun. So, I want to be sure that we can teach people to be more accurate and still be fun. <laughs> 
Okay, so overall, the team believed that though many depictions of psychopaths are not accurate to clinical descriptions of the condition, films that show psychopaths can be useful to society. Quote, these characters, which mirror some types of our society, are very important for the cinema itself and art in general, but mostly for future generations of forensic psychologists and psychiatrists as pedagogic, is it gogic or gogic? I haven't said this word in 20 years. Good Lord. Yeah, pedagogic. Yeah, pedagogic. Gogic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's been too long and I forgot. Uh, materials, they, they conclude. In fact, some of these fictional characters can be considered valuable for teaching and illustrating several aspects of forensic psychology, such as personality disorders, paraphilia, expert witness characteristics, portrayals of the legal system, behaviors of the lawyers, and courtroom procedures. Moreover, these movies can be sources of lessons, questions about clinical cases, and lead to discussions between students and faculty members. And with that, I'm going to turn to you, Dr. Mathis, for commentary on this article. I don't really have anything to say about it, <laughs> really. I haven't seen, I have, I'm not seeing No Country for Old Men either. Here, it's a pretty, pretty good movie, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think about their assertion? I mean, we have talked about other films that portray uh, psychopaths and sociopaths in general. Um, and some of them did a very poor job and some of them didn't. Um, yep. But do you think that these fictionalized characters in you know, songs and books and TV and film, do you think that they're actually valuable for teaching people about these aspects of things? Because I'm sort of hesitant. I'm not really enrolled that this is valid. Now, I, I, but, think they tend to, I think they tend to confuse the issue more than they educate. And I think they tend to glamorize it as opposed to horrify it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, most people, when they, sh uh, what's the, uh, what's the Sharon Stone movie? Oh, um, um uh, oh my God, hold on. Let me Google it real quick. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's, yeah, I started that's to say fatal attraction and that's not it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no, okay. no. Well, whatever, whatever that is, that's that's a, that's an antisocial person. No, so when she could uh, take take that uh, personality quiz and fool them into thinking that she's not as crazy. Basic instinct. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and okay, I think so she you know, would be a correct. I think I think they confuse a lot of people. You know, if you want to get an accurate view of what a cluster B person is, uh, you, there are plenty of really good documentaries out there uh, that show very severe borderlines, uh, antisocials, narcissists, that accurately portray them because they are uh, case studies and they're um, doing like dramas of case studies and they're dramatizing some of the scenes with actors and actresses, but they're taking them from actual facts and they're done really, really, really well. And they're, you know, a TV series that, that has, some of them have been on for like, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. So obviously you can make money from wow. this, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, and these are done very well. They, they are documents of 
real life cases. I mean, there's there's two that come to mind, <clears throat> probably three that come to mind. One isn't on anymore. Uh, actually, four that come to mind. I kind of sound like Steve uh, Martin on the jerk. Uh, <laughs> 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 All I need is this phone book. There's uh, <laughs> there's there, there's there's two that. Uh, were really really good that aren't on anymore. Um, one is called one was called Most Evil, and the other one was called Killer Kids, and they were both really good and they were both great dramatizations and they had pictures of the real people on there and they had portrayals of what was going on and historical stuff and it was really well done. Um, there are a couple that are still on that are really really good that have been on for a really really long time. Uh, one is called Deadly Women, which really profiles female antisocials and very dangerous female borderlines. I mean, and it's really good, and it does a great job. The, there's another one, <clears throat> excuse me, that is on that is equally as good that interviews victims and or family members uh, of, you know, serial killers uh, and and it's called uh, Evil Lives Here, and it's a really yeah. good show. And it documents stuff, and it portrays stuff, and they have stories and actors and actresses playing out scenes of this person's life. And then they have you know the real people who are survivors on there talking about it, and and it's just done incredibly well. And those are real life folks on there, and real life victims on there. And there's mothers talking about and fathers talking about their their sons who went on to murder people uh, and and do horrible things. So there's there you can make money off this stuff and you can do it in a very accurate and tasteful way. I think that what people get attracted to in some of these blockbuster movies, and you know, Psycho's a great movie, but it but but they're right. It's about an it's about a a schizophrenic, and so is Taxi Driver about somebody who has a psychotic break. And they're both great movies, and they're both done incredibly well. And, uh, you know, they're both incredibly well acted. Uh, and, and they both made a shit ton of money. But you, So you can do stuff well and make money and accurately portray stuff, but they're, you know, those are def they're definitely not antisocials. Uh, they committed antisocial acts because they were nuts, for lack of a better term. And most get, the problem with that is then people sometimes get the idea that folks like Norman Bates and Travis Bickle are your uh, kind of garden variety schizophrenics, and that's not the case. Most schizophrenics are not dangerous. Uh, there's, there's a very, very small population of, of psychotics out there who are actually dangerous, and that's the one thing that I think that's uh, kind of you know, if you will, the, the bad part about those movies is that sometimes people get the idea, if they've accurately diagnosed the characters, then now people are going to be paranoid of uh, schizophrenics, and there's really no reason for them to be. Most schizophrenics are not dangerous. They're, you know, they're dangerous to themselves in a sense, but they're not like dangerous, dangerous. They're not antisocial. They don't go out and shoot and kill people. And they only do it if they're highly delusional in the sense that their delusions involve some kind of paranoia. Um, you know, it's like there was a person uh, in the 90s, <clears throat> excuse me, in the mid-90s who I think went to a local mall here in Atlanta uh, and started opening fire on people in the mall because that person had delusions that 
uh, the people in the mall were somehow, you know, evil aliens that had taken over human form and were there to kill people and they were trying to protect them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was not antisocial. It was somebody having a psychotic break and they were killing people not because they were bad, but because they were trying to protect other people who weren't, quote unquote, aliens. But, you know, that that's a very rare case uh, when you see schizophrenics doing that sort of thing. Most of them are not dangerous. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that that's good, and that's actually a great segue to my next couple of questions, actually. So we uh, might possibly skip over – well, I'll, I'll read the questions anyway and see if there's anything else you want to sure. add. Um, sure. So we did already t- uh, touch on this. Can there be fiction, songs, TV, or, or movies that portray APD accurately but appeal to a popular audience and make money? And as you have observed – at least some of the documentaries, um, you know, they're presented as kind of uh, fictionalized repetitions of things that really happened. But do you think that people can write stories that portray it accurately that, of stuff that didn't actually exist and still succeed in popular entertainment? Is that possible? Do you think? Well, I think Basic Instinct made a shoot ton of money. Okay, that's fair. So, so you would hold that up as a good example of it done correctly. Yeah, I, I think what what happens is people identify sometimes with the actors or actresses playing the parts. So they'll get. I mean, because let's face it, you know, Sharon Stone's a very attractive woman, and you get somebody who's real attractive playing a role, or you get somebody who's real famous playing a role, people are going to see the movie because of the actor or actress playing the part, and they're going to identify with it because them identifying with the actor or actress, not so much as the character, but the character takes on this sort of vicarious quality. They they get vicariously lumped in and becomes uh, identified because of the aura that's created because of the actor or actress that's playing the role. I think to some degree that also happens with, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins' character of Hannibal Lecter. Because there's another, you know... Obviously, very accomplished actor who's who's you know has done multiple uh, movies with Hannibal Lecter, who's made a shoot ton of money. And while Hannibal is certainly an antisocial, he's not a typical antisocial. Um, the 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 tooth fairy is pro- quote unquote is probably character in the movie is probably a more typical antisocial than Lecter is. But even okay. he's kind of un- unusual for most antisocials, but not horribly uh, out to lunch, so to speak. Got it. Okay. From the reality. <laughs> okay, that that's fair. <clears throat> so related also to what you were saying just a bit ago, why do you think it is that so many people are obsessed with this inaccurate fictional take on APD? I mean, they, we've talked about this before, and we started talking about this back in 2017, and this damn article came out two weeks ago, and they're still saying it. Yeah, well, what do you think I, I that think is? it's a combination of the person uh, identifying with the actor or actress playing the role. I also think it's very much um, people that like the fact that the character has power, that the character is the uh, creator of his or her own destiny. Now, albeit in a very sick way and in a way that negatively mm. impacts a lot of other people, 
but I think the power that the uh, that the character has, kind of like vampires, if you will, or even werewolves or, or whatever, that that character represents a desire for people to have power in their lives. And I think particularly given, uh, shall we say, the political climate over the last several years and uh, all the stuff with COVID and all these this insecurity and, and uncertainty, you know, we, we live in somewhat uh, tenuous times, if you will. And I think particularly in those times, it becomes more poignant when you see a character on TV or in the movies taking charge of, of his or her life, albeit in a very you know, inappropriate way. Um, that character, you know, seems successful, at least for a while. I mean, uh, uh, Tony, whatever his name is, character on uh, uh, the, dope, the cocaine movie, um, the Hispanic guy. Oh. Uh, yeah. Whatever. No, it's played by Al Pacino. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm having an anomia moment. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not sure I've seen the movie, so I don't know if I could tell you, but I know who you're talking ba- about. Basically, he's <laughs> a basically he portrays a Cuban immigrant who comes over here and gets involved in crime, and becomes a major mafia crime lord, but ends up, you know, killing and and does so by you know killing people and doing horrible things to people and. Uh, and, you know, in the end, ends up, ends up making, mucking up his own life and ends up going out in a blaze of glory, basically. Um, yeah. You know, kind of like uh, James Cagney's character, you know, in that old movie oh. where he's playing gangster, you know. Top of the yeah. world, Mom, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's this it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, these people are horrible and terrible and do bad things, but gosh, look how much power they have and look how people fear them. And a lot of folks confuse fear with respect. Uh, and you see yeah. that a lot in our society. It's certainly replete in the prison system. It's replete in the gang population. It's replete in the organized crime population. You know, it's like if you, you're going to respect me because you fear me. And so people equate those two terms. They're not even the same thing. You can gain respect without torturing people, without being bad boy or bad girl without killing people or breaking people's legs or whatever, beating the crap out of people. There's a lot of ways to get respect that are healthy ways that don't hurt people that also raise you up and make you closer to your life goals that don't involve, you know, negative life uh, habits. But one is quicker than the other. And I, you know, I'm kind of reminded, uh, <laughs> you know, of the Yoda thing about uh, don't go down the dark oh. path but forever it will dominate you know it's the easy quick way yeah. but forever will it dominate your life and that's not too far wrong you know you, you there is no quick way to achieve anything whether it's intelligence greatness uh, proficiency on on the basketball court proficiency on a piano or in in business or anything else it requires that nasty obscene four-letter word work and most people don't want to do that. They want the quick and short, dirty work way. And a lot of these characters in these movies uh, do that. They do it in very violent and uh, negative ways that propel them pretty quickly into the limelight. And I think it's people's desires uh, to, to, you know, have that type of adulation and or fear slash respect 
And when you combine that with, uh, you know, let's face it, they don't have ugly, act, you know, what society considers unattractive actors and actresses playing these roles. You know, gotcha. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, when you've got people uh, like Sharon Stone playing these roles, you've got people like Paul Newman playing a role, or you know, or anybody, you know, yeah. uh, who is an attractive considered attractive in a society, and they typically have this kind of folks, the Tom Cruise types or whatever, playing these roles. You know, people are infatuated with that kind of stuff. Um, and when you look at real antisocials or real borderlines or narcissists, whatever, uh, not, all, not all of them are really good looking. Some of the really successful ones have great curve appeal. They have great social skills. They're all facades. And some of them are very physically attracting. But uh, I don't think anybody would consider Mussolini physically attractive, or Hitler. Yeah, I was right. Going to say Hitler well, or, or Napoleon like Bonaparte. Out for that. Yeah. Right. Or Napoleon Bonaparte, and all those folks are cluster bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, or you yeah, know, no, H. That, H. Holmes. That's helpful, though. Like it, it is the power because. You know, when they step outside, when they color outside the box, you know, they have their own rules. They get away yeah. with things. And they're we, indep- they, they exert their independence and their autonomy. And I think there's a lot of people who long for that, particularly if they're in dead-end jobs or if their lives are not what they would have planned, wanted them to be, or not currently what they wanted to be. And they feel frustrated and they feel misunderstood and they feel put upon. They're looking at these characters who are basically taking their uh, – destiny into their own hands and carving their own lives out of it and are being at least temporarily successful doing it. The problem is they're hurting a shoot ton of people doing it. Yeah. And, you know, and in one tends to forget that aspect, you know, and, and I think to some degree, and I love these movies and I don't want anybody to mishear me saying we should be banning these movies and you shouldn't watch them. And, you know, I'm not saying any of that. Uh, But I think to some degree, sometimes if you are a person who is in, a certain emotional kind of state, you can look at these movies and be influenced by these these things and think, gosh, you know, I wish that were me and kind of daydream and, you know, do a projective identification with these folks. And there's some folks who are not, you know, in, in the vernacular of the South, them boys ain't right, you know, <laughs> who look at these characters and go, I'm doing that. You know, yeah. uh, and, I mean, there's, there's been, you know, serial killers who took uh, the, the character of Neo in the Matrix and decided that they were going to go out and kill everybody that stood in their way because that's what Neo did. And they, they forget that Neo was doing it in order to free people from machines. But Neo wasn't some antisocial guy getting up, taking a gun and shooting people just because of, cause of it, because the people he was killing were, were computer programs. They weren't really people. Yeah. You know, and, and I think some of these folks forget those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, people get inspired by crazy things that they see uh, on TV or, or in the movies. And you certainly can't blame them for that. You can't blame the movies for that. You can't blame books or music for any of that stuff because we all have to be responsible for our own behaviors, irrespective of what yeah. we hear or see, whatever. But I think it provides an easy avenue for something groups of people who, you know, have certain psychological conditions to even more so than the average Joe or Jolene to identify with these folks and then try to carry some of this crap out. I think for the rest of us, it's just vicarious uh, identification and gosh, isn't that kind of cool? And you you forget about how much damage these folks cause. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, no, that that definitely helps, and it kind of answers my next question uh, already, which I was going to bring up. You know, is this wrong or toxic or otherwise unhealthy in some way, and should we be seeking to break this interest or habit? But it sounds kind of like, you know, we are informing our listeners that this can be a thing, and you guys at some point are going to have to tend your own wheelhouse on this. We're just pointing at the elephant, but we can't clean it up with right. the poop. That's on you. <laughs> right. I mean, I had this discussion just this week with one of my with one of my adolescent patients, you know, who was very surprised. <clears throat> we got on the topic of video games, mm-hmm. and I forgot what this was in relation to. It was probably because the most ADHD kids I know are, are video game freaks. Uh, because they're action oriented and it jacks the dopamine up, and you know, and he, this particular person was completely shocked to find out that a I like video games, and b my favorite video games when I'm not playing the old school things like Pac-Man and Centipede and Galaga and, <laughs> and Big Doug and all that stuff. Right, my other famous, my other favorite uh, video games are first-person shooters, and I don't oh, want any. I don't want any planning involved. I don't want any strategy involved. I want the BFG, for those who know that yeah. term, right? And, and that does stand for big effing gun. And yep. I just want to start shooting shit and blowing shit up. I don't want to have to strategize. I just, you know, well, you know, say hello to my little friend. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, just, and just go to town, you know, Um and those are my favorite types of video games besides the old school games. And you could have heard a pin drop in the therapy office. So I said this, and his kid's eyes got really big. And he goes, really? And I went, yeah. Why does that surprise you? Right? Well, it surprises him because he's made all these assumptions about what, you know, brainiac nerds like me, boring-ass nerds that don't do drugs and other things, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my God, is this a closeted Hannibal Lecter in our midst, you know? Oh, that's funny. Um, no, yeah. we, we may parlay this into a, a show topic in a few weeks because that has potential all on its own for another thing of discussion, but we've only got about five minutes, so not tonight. Oh, there but you have it. But yeah, that it was, it was just really funny. Rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, yeah. It was so funny to watch this kid's reaction. And I said, how is that any different from me liking metal music, but I don't do drugs, and I don't blow shit up, and I don't go out and riot in the streets, and I don't destroy property unless it's my own, and I'm frustrated with it because the computer doesn't work, and I want to take a sledgehammer to it, but I digress. So <laughs> <laughs> I, don't take it, I don't take sledgehammers to other people's computers. And, okay. You know, it really, I mean, it really shocked the craziness out of this kid. And I just started laughing, going, gosh, you know, let, let, why don't we just, and it was good because we dispelled a stereotype for him, you know, which yeah. I'm like, well, this is a good thing. I'm glad we're having this discussion. Uh, yeah. You get bonus so points for knowing never, what a BFG is. <laughs> yeah. And so I would never tell people not to read these kind of books or watch these kind of movies or play those kind of video games or listen to those kind of yeah. songs, you know, um, because you can get any person who's disturbed and, you know, you get pedophiles who read Boy's Life, you know, yeah. the, the Boy Scout magazine. And I don't think anybody has any idea, you know, th- any thoughts that Boy's Life is somehow contaminatory and pornographic. Exactly. So, you know, to, to quote Shakespeare, the problem, dear Brutus, lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. <laughs> That's yeah. true. 
Yeah, no, that that is extremely helpful and actually segues into the last thing I was going to bring up, which we're already addressing, which was suggestions and other conclusions, you know, on the whole phenomenon. I, I think if people listen to what we've said tonight, you can kind of understand what's really going on, and it can actually be entertaining to be more accurate about these things, and we encourage that, you know, not that yep. anybody in the industry, not the execs are sitting listening to our show, but you never know, you know, maybe somebody will. Um, right. So hopefully more accuracy from the artisans and more accuracy from the audience, you know, and seeing it for what it is. The whole power thing was very helpful. I actually had never really heard that put that way before, so that's great. Um, okay, well, cool. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to bring up about this whole phenomenon in general before we start wrapping? No, I think I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So conclusions on my script, I did not update, but, you know, we know the basic deal. So um, we try to present antisocials from fiction, you know, from movies, TVs, books, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um a lot of them have been inaccurate in the past. I'm actually kind of wondering if some of these might have been products of their time as far as point blank, like the DSM not being updated. And for a few of those, uh, the Internet not really existing yet, so you can't get updates very quickly. And I'm wondering if that might be a part of the reason some of these are so off whack because they couldn't just go Google it. There was no such thing. Yeah, I don't um, know. I I wanted, I do want to mention one thing that I forgot to mention. So there's also another yeah. show on on uh, currently uh, called Signs of a Psychopath, and it's really good. And it really it it shows actual interviews with people who are antisocials. And it's do you really know what network good. it's carried on? Uh, I think chance? it's carried on the invest. Uh, it's either carried on the True Crime Channel. Or investigative discovery channel. I don't remember, but it's really okay. good. I will have to and, go and look. And if up. you want to look at that, that's that's that shows you interviews, police interviews with true antisocials, and some of that stuff is really flipping frightening. And some of those people are very attractive. Most of those people are not, but some of them are. I mean, I saw one last night with this twenty-year-old uh, had killed a bunch of people, and uh, I mean, I think most people who were watching that would consider him a cutie. Uh, blonde hair type, you know, good-looking kid next door type. Oh, but then, yeah. You know, they, they interviewed somebody else on there who was just a wild, you know, wild-eyed, crazy-looking somebody. And uh, if you hear this guy talk, he's like, uh, he's really, you know, living on Pluto. <laughs> no. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, actually, he's not living at all. They executed him last year, but... Uh, ooh, 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 he's, he, yeah, I know. He's, 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 he was dying to get there. Anyway, um, oh, okay, <laughs> thanks. I'll be here all week. Joke, that joke segment <laughs> for tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I, yeah, that's right. But 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 in all seriousness, folks, uh, Signs of a Psychopath, great great uh, series, and it's Accurate. still it's still running today. Yeah. Really really good series. Okay, so. Um, with that, let's go ahead and start wrapping up our show, Psycho Killer. I'm getting a little feedback in the background. I might be a little too loud. Um, fictional antisocials. 
Um, and so be, on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who might be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, etc. So we will see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion on Wednesday, March 22nd. Uh, not 22nd, pardon me, March 2nd, 2022. There's a lot of twos going on. <laughs> I feel like Sherlock Holmes. Okay, at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, just like tonight, right here on blogtalkradio.com. We also want to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, tomorrow night, Travel Itch Radio, the 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The state of Maryland has myriad attractions, old and new, from Annapolis and Baltimore to the Eastern Shore and the Delmarva Peninsula. The state benefits from its mid-Atlantic location, benign climate, I beg to differ because we've had a lot of snow, um, and multiple transportation opens. It will also be marking multiple major anniversaries this year, including the bicentennial of Harriet Tubman's birth, the arrival of an enormous steam locomotive at the Western Maryland Scenic Railroad, and the opening of new things to see at the Annapolis Maritime Museum, Mallows Bay Park. Hear more on Thursday, February 17th, when Travel Itch Radio hosts Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee interview Tom Reiford, who is the Assistant Secretary of Commerce for the State of Maryland. Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning. This is hosted on StreamYard. Please check the NDB Media uh, Facebook page for links and times. Sunday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, come and see me. The Walking Dead online viewing party returns this Sunday, February 20th, with Season 11, Episode 9, No Other Way. Synopsis is Daryl, Maggie, Gabriel, Negan, and Elijah battle the Reapers for food. Aaron and the Alexandrians must survive a storm. The second third of the final season will run eight episodes up through April 10th, although only episodes 9 through 14 have been posted online. So more information on that Sunday night. Hope to see you there. Monday night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Roger Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history, currently also hosted on StreamYard. And Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Fandom Access, we can review. Join the TV tantrum of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they digest another night of TV. Please look for The Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us, as always, and rock on. Good night. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. See ya.
Mm-hmm.